IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We're the podcast for conscious leaders. And Kirsten, we're just enjoying these conversations with leaders literally all over the world about how they are bringing their IntelliKey to work. We are, and also achieving their soul potential. How are companies and individuals really tapping into their dreams, their passions, their purpose? Well, we're well into season three of our podcast now. We just appreciate you listeners coming along the ride with us here. Our guest today is Zoe Routh. Well, hello, Mark and Kirsten. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, thanks for the invitation. And Zoe is the author of a terrific book called People Stuff. And I've got to start there, Zoe, the people stuff. Tell us about the stuff that people have and they bring to work. (laughs) Yeah, people stuff, right? When I ask leaders about what their biggest challenge is, it's always some version of, oh, the people dynamics. It's my team. They're driving me nuts or I can't get along with some other colleague or the chair is, is railroading me. It's always the people dynamics that people find challenging, which I found surprising. It's not the strategy necessarily that people want to learn more about. It's all about the finessing of influence, of dealing with tension, of dealing with conflict and rivalry and undermining, you name it. There's a whole gamut of interesting behaviors that show up in the workplace. And so I wanted to dig into that and find out why, why these behaviors occur and more importantly, what can we do about them? So that was the genesis of the book. And I think I've never get tired of under, trying to understand why people are the way that they are and why is it that we rub shoulders with people and, and they turn into sharp elbows <laughs> and how can we turn that around? Because life is too short, really, for sharp elbows and gritting your teeth when somebody walks in the room. <laughs> All right. So I have to ask, what did you come up with? <laughs> right? Because anytime you have a group dynamic, every past, present and future issues come up within a person. It comes back to it. So what did you uncover in that process? Yeah. Awesome question, Kirsten. And really when I dug into it, I discovered that there's patterns, there's patterns in people's behavior. And I wanted some maps to navigate the territory of people dynamics. And some of them are existing, like there's a zillion different types of maps to understand people's behavior. You might know some of them from different profiling instruments and different theories. And so I had a look at a a lot of those different ones, uh, anything from leadership maturity framework to look at a development mo- developmental model of how people see themselves in the world. That's probably central to the work that I do with leaders to understand how we evolve as humans and how we, we change how we see ourselves and see the world. Uh, so that's one map of the territory that I explored. But fundamentally, in terms of solutions, the trick to it is perspective. And as leaders, perspective is power. The more that we see, the better we lead. And the practice of perspective is about learning how to see far, deep, and wide when it comes to people dynamics. Um, So far being far into the horizon, the time horizon. How far back in history can we go to understand how humans have evolved and how societies have developed to help us project far into the future and understand the ripple effect of our actions in the moment? So that's the far point. 
the perspective of going deep is really look looking underneath the layers of a dynamic to see what's driving that behavior. And when it comes to teams and organizations, the critical discovery for me around this was at its systems drive behavior. And it's not personalities at all. Well, a shade, there's a little part of it that is personalities, but often the conflict that we see in a workplace is because we have terrible systems, terrible systems in our teams in terms of how people engage with each other and terrible systems in our organizations, which set people up often for conflict and for competition, which isn't always necessarily helpful. So that's the, the deep piece and the wide, a far deep and wide uh, aspect of perspective is all about understanding who's in our circle of concern. And when we expand that, we start to be able to become wise and compassionate leaders. So leaders who use the best of our mind as well as the best of our heart to make sensitive and sensible decisions. And largely I find that people's circle of inclusion is, can be pretty small. Like it's me, my family, maybe my workplace. <laughs> and we don't necessarily often think about community uh, or country or even planet. And I think knowing where our existing boundaries in terms of our circle of concern is a useful starting point to figure out how we're dividing up the world between us and them. And as wise and compassionate leaders, we can expand that to just be us. And when we get to that point, then that allows us so much more opportunity to create organizations and businesses that are inclusive, that are uh, caring, that are compassionate and contributing to the to the organization, to the planet as a whole. And that's what I want. That's what I want in, in, in the world is for leaders to be showing up from an us perspective, not just an us and them. And it's so interesting you say that because I was, I was thinking about people stuff, you know, many times our perspective is how can the leader embrace or be more empathetic with the people that they are managing? But really, uh, you also highlight that the leader is bringing stuff with them too. They have mm -hmm. their stuff going on in their world and how can they be in touch with what's going on with themselves? Yeah, we all have stuff. Why well, call that shadow? And along with a lot of other uh, leadership professionals have explored this idea of shadow. And shadow is from a psychological uh, perspective is the stuff that we've denied in ourselves and we suppressed, we've hidden away and pretended that it isn't there. And we end up projecting that onto other people. So everything that we criticize and dislike in others is usually a mirror up to ourselves. And I think it's um, the work that I've been doing with leaders lately is to say, hang on a minute. So if somebody appears in your world and they they really get up your nose and irritate you, just like pause, because that's opportunity for you to understand what's going on for you. And we dig into that. We discover there's parts of ourselves that we don't really like and that we pretend aren't there. So maybe it's we have a tendency to to be angry um, or we have an early tendency to be angry. We don't like that part of ourselves. So we bury it deep and we cover it up. And what happens when we do that? It kind of grows within us like a little bit of a mold <laughs> and it could take over. And we start disliking people who have are angry and have temper tantrums and we become judgmental and we put up barriers between people. And really the work is to actually look at that side of ourselves, understand where that anger came from and go, you know what? It's okay occasionally to be angry. It's not okay necessarily to act on that anger or to uh, express it in a way that's um, violent or, or nasty to others. It's okay to feel it though. And when we pay attention to our feelings, we go, oh, I'm having anger today. That's interesting. And we just honor it for what it is because it's a gift that something isn't right for us. 
and that we need to lean into that. So this is some of the stuff that we can work on as leaders is paying attention to the barnacles that are showing up in our lives because there's always barnacles. There's always things that we're holding on to, aspects of ourselves that we can discover, that we can scrub off, um, scrub those barnacles off and look, keep finding new ones to, to peel off as well. So that barnacle scrubbing activity is, is a lifelong process. There's always more to learn about ourselves. And I think um, journaling is one way to get in tune with that, where we just figure out like, how was my day today? How was I great today? And how was I not so good? And when we pay attention to that, like we forgive ourselves for not being best versions of ourselves, it gives us permission to shine a light into the moldy corners and dry all that stuff up so that it doesn't, it doesn't drive our interactions as much anymore. You Love know, that I, metaphor, like to, especially the old boats yeah. like myself that have plenty of barnacles on them. <laughs> the barnacles, <laughs> the barnacles. So I have a question because it's easier said than done. It's great. We can have awareness of the shadow, if you will, right? The other side of us or aspects of ourselves that are just dimming the light of who we truly are. But retraining, repatterning, removing the block. So new behavior steps forward especially in the heat of the moment and pressure of running an organization. We're talking about the, the, you know, the leadership. They are responsible oftentimes for very large amounts of money, people, initiatives, objectives, and probably tired. So how do you really work with them to shift a pattern that's in you and also has an old trigger yeah, this is great, uh, great to point in on that, Kirsten. I think it's a really useful thing. So yeah, awareness, just putting a light there is like, okay, that's nice. And now what? And absolutely, there is a practice that goes with that. It's an advanced emotional intelligence practice, which is tuning in and paying attention to your body, because that's where that's where the emotions come from and speak through is through our body. And so there's daily practices of paying attention to what's going on inside. And by virtue of paying attention, that sort of inserts the pause that, as you refer to, the pause before you re- respond as opposed to react. But when we start to become more um, tune in tune with what's happening in our body, then that gives us more of an ability to control or influence our responses. So we we start to see ourselves as a, as an object to study. The metaphor I like to use here's another meta- metaphor for you is we can ha- we have emotions, but instead of them being behind the wheel of a car, they're in the passenger seat. And so they're always along for the ride, but we don't let them take control of the wheel. And the way that we do that is noticing, noticing what's happening in our body. Where's the energy being directed? And so there we go. Hello, anger. I see you. You're here. You can sit in the passenger seat. To your point of there is so much going on. There's so much pressure. How do leaders handle that? It's always the discipline of being composed, of being centered. And there's specific biohacks that we do with that. And one of the main tips I give is nose, toes, and pose. Nose is being, is breathing. And it is decades, centuries, and millennium old in terms of a way of getting control of our biology. Breathing allows us to come back to center. So easy, regular, even breaths, focusing through the heart area. This is a heart math technique and a coherence technique allows our fight and flight system to come back to neutral. So we use our breath to come back to just an even keel. So we do breathing. That's the nose piece. Toes is when we dig our toes into the ground. And that takes our 
brain away from the catastrophizing and reacting that's going on into our body in the present moment. So whether we're sitting or standing, we dig our toes into the ground. So in breathing, toes and pose is using power poses, which is the victory stance. Now you're not going to do this in a meeting, throw your arms into the air. <laughs> I can see myself that's... doing it. <laughs> I thought that well, might <laughs> it certainly would break the tension, wouldn't yes, it? Exactly. <laughs> All of a sudden you're doing like victory stance, like, okay, then um, it's a Wonder Woman or Superman pose. And the idea is you stand up tall, you make yourself bigger and you trigger your biology in delivering you uh, greater testosterone for me both men and women, which is our assertiveness hormone. And it dials, dials up assertiveness and confidence and dials down the stress response. So we hack our biology with nose, toes, and pose. And even if you can't do the Wonder Woman, Superman pose or victory stance in a meeting, you can imagine it. And that also helps trigger the biological uh, response. So these are the pragmatic ways in the moment to come back to even keel as a starting point. The nose, toes, and pose is like, right, come back to calm and deal with what's in front of you. Now that's in the moment stuff. And then you also alluded to it, you know, I'm tired and self-care has got to be the primary responsibility for every leader. And I've always advocated the self-first principle, meaning that we need to look after ourselves so we can better serve others. It's not selfish, it's self-first. And the basics, we all know the basics, get some decent sleep, eat well, exercise, stretch, uh, decompress, stress management, all that kind of stuff is is got to be bread and butter for the any leader who's in positions of, of extreme responsibility. We do not want somebody in charge of billions of dollars, somebody in charge of the little red button that sends things overseas to bomb others, <laughs> to be stressed out, not having slept enough, uh, not being at their physical best. We want our leaders to be primed for and and ready for that kind of stressful response and stay composed at the same time. Um, so there's the long-term practices of self-care and then there's the in, in the moment aspects of, of staying calm and centered mm -hmm. with the discipline and practice of self-awareness and body yeah. scanning as part of it. And I love and, and the I just want to see Mark oh, yeah, do that ahead. pose. Oh, I, Can you do that pose, Mark? <laughs> those yeah. of you who know me have seen both the Wonder Woman hands on hips as well as the uh, arms Olympic dismount uh, kind of a thing. <laughs> well, Zoe, I love the subtitle of the book as well, this advanced handbook for leadership. No wonder the book won an Australian Business Book Award last year. I love the pragmatic, practical guide. I was wondering how you found these to be received. You know, what, what examples have you seen maybe in companies or leaders say, I can really take this stuff. It's practical. I know it's not just leadership maxims. You know, these are things that I can do. One of the more popular chapters in the book is on, it's called them, which is understanding other people. <laughs> and in that, we look at the four devils of people stuff. So difficult behaviors, what causes them and how to deal with them. And uh, so that's, I think, one of the chapters that people have really dug into and highlighted and dog-eared and tabbed uh, the most, because that's the stuff that really, that, that bothers people, right? It's like, how do I, like, how do I deal with the emotional ranter? I call them the storm driver. How do I deal with someone who's sullen and sulking? Like, what's going on with that? They're the water bomber. 
how do I deal with this? Somebody who is backbiting, undermining and, and negative, but won't actually cough up and tell us what's going on. That's the ground splitter. And how do those I are, deal? Those with are my it? personal favorite. If I have a pet peeve, those are mine. <laughs> oh, and they're so hard to deal with, right, Kirsten? It's like, they, you're, they're so two-faced, right? It's like, I'll do that. But sure, I'll, no problem. I've got that. But, and then you find out through the grapevine that they they totally disagree with your point of view and they, they don't follow through. They just ignore your direct. It's like, wow. Um, and the last you know, one. You know, is, I'm sitting right here. Yeah, you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ground oh, splitter. Sorry, uh, you, were, you were on a roll. I interrupted you. Oh, that's okay. And the last one is the firebug. You know, somebody who is righteous and wronged and argumentative and and likes to defend and and attack basically any point of view. So that's probably the the most practical and uh, chapter that um, that people sort of lean into the most because that's where their their trouble spots are. And it's reactive in some way, right? So if we're already at the point where we've got these four devils happening in our workplace, then we've got some work to do to uncover that. And there's like the emergency first aid response, which is let's calm everybody down and see if we can alleviate some of those amygdala hijack triggers that are causing those behaviors. And then there's the systems work in the workplace that we need to dive into for more long-term solutions. And some of the chronic systems that cause some of these behaviors are things like promotions. How do you run promotions? Are they clear and transparent or is it nepotism at work? Uh, another one of the systems that causes some of these dramas is remuneration. How are people paid and rewarded? And does this drive people into ground splitting behavior because they're so worried about their performance and it's, it's a competitive rivalry? Or do we have to unpack that a little bit and create a different way of rewarding people? How are people's recognition systems are, are do we have a practice in place for recognizing uh, good performance what's our feedback system are we helping people grow and evolve or are we just carrying on and letting things slide and slip through the cracks the other thing is how how do we manage our boundaries are people clear about their responsibilities is there clear accountability uh, for for folks and how do we check in on that do we make progress visible like there's some really practical tangible systems types of things in the workplace that we can set up and establish that will prevent a lot of these behaviors um, in the first place, which is ultimately where we want. We want a high functioning, we want high functioning teams. We want friction free, like negative friction free workplaces. We want positive friction when it comes to creating solutions and so on. And these are all systems based approaches that we can put in place. And I think that's what's uh, what people have been finding exciting about the book is that it's it's not just saying, uh, this is, you know, here's some patterns of people behaving badly. That's nice. <laughs> it's like, I want long-term solutions to this so that I can set things up and be happier in how I show up and understand where people's behaviors are coming from and then how to navigate through that. That's the main mm -hmm. key to it. So it's a useful map for understanding the territory of this prickliness. And the other side of it is we need to address performance. And I love all these measures that you said we can put in place to ensure that these results are measured. Have you seen it equate to profits and profitability? Because Mark and I have been having this conversation a lot with a lot of leaders that this new call for the chief people officer, that's wonderful, but there's also other people involved. There's shareholders, there's customers, right? So we can't just leave a piece of the equation out. All three legs have to be served. So are you finding this moving into greater profits in the company and greater performance? Absolutely. 
and I, this is a it's a nonlinear question because organizations and people are complex beings and it's not just one approach fixes the whole lot it's a it's a dynamic tension to manage and the question about do we focus on team do we focus on task do we focus on culture do we focus on performance it's not a question of one or the other it's both and which comes first that, that's a debate i had with one team it's like uh, they were having this the same conversation, right? Well, we need to deliver results because our company needs to make profits and we need to report on that. Yes. And the other, the other group was saying, and if we don't have happy staff, then they're not going to perform, then we won't make profits. And it's like, well, we're not reporting culture, reporting on performance. So which one do we focus on? It's not or, it's and. Uh, we need to do both. And in doing some of these activities and fixing up our people systems, it actually makes life easier and actually promotes uh, better collegiality, better collaboration, which has a trickle down effect. Ugh, that sounds too linear. It has a positive effect on the lag measures of performance. Absolutely. I would also speak to the idea of what are you measuring? Uh, because if all we're measuring is profits, then we're missing all the opportunity in throughout the whole system of the organization to create a cascade effect of positivity. And that when we're developing measures, we need to look at uh, different parts of the whole ecosystem of the business, from finances to marketing, to sales, uh, to frontline delivery, to, to all the kind of pieces of the puzzle of the business and find out where the friction points are. And one of our key responsibilities is to reduce friction across the whole ecosystem. There's one little tweak of, of a friction uh, in, let's say it's in procurement. Maybe there's an onerous procurement system, which is slowing things down. If we tweak that, then it frees up all this time and energy, which means we can get out to the customers quicker, which means that we can uh, have happier customers who have repeat purchases with us, which has a knock-on effect. Um, I swear you're speaking of half of my clients' current problems, right? Because I, I work with a lot of high-performance sales, right? And this is their number one issue. It's not their sales ability. It's their frustration with systems that are broken. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that wonderful that you point this out. And it speaks to the whole idea that we need to look at the whole organization as a complex being. I was speaking to a sales, I had a sales rep client as well, and she was excellent at sales. She could sell anything. And her sales, she was new to the company and she had, had exceeded her targets incredibly in the first couple of months that she was there. And then she couldn't get the product to the client because right. of manufacturing. Her manager hadn't ordered the stuff. And so she was made to look terrible as a result of that. She was, made all these great promises and couldn't deliver on it. It wasn't her fault. And that's a prime example of what do you focus on? Mm -hmm. Is it the team dynamics? Not just floppy stuff, as some people say, of the people interactions. It's the pragmatic stuff. Where are the friction points? Where are we being slowed down? Where are the opportunities across the whole thing to create a better synergy and a, get a, a better productivity across the whole organization? And guess what? That has a positive effect on team dynamics because if you, if you come back to my client, who's the top sales performer, she started to resent her manager because the manager wasn't performing. If the manager had been performing and she had her products on time, guess what? There wouldn't be so much tension in the relationship. And, and so I have to tell you, has... one, of the one of the best lines, sorry, the one of the best lines I ever read, the quickest way to lose a type A player has nothing to do with money, has everything to putting them with B and C players who just can't operate at that level. 
That's the quickest way to lose your top, your best performers. Yeah. And I would add into that, uh, put your top players into crappy systems. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Zoe, what a wonderful conversation. And before I ask a question about the conclusion of your book, I want to make sure everybody can connect with you and learn more about your work and the book. Right. So Planet Zoe is my website, zoerouth.com, Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H, zoerouth.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active there. I'm on the other social media platforms as well. And I have my own podcast called The, wait for it, Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. (laughs) So easy to remember. (laughs) There we go. Well, and the book is People Stuff Beyond Personality Problems, an advanced handbook for leadership. And it's in print, it's an ebook, it's an audible. So Zoe, as, as the book closes, you sort of now wrap things up in these five archetypes, you know, and we know Carl Jung was the classic labeler of our archetypes, but particularly you highlight elder and warrior. In our podcast, Intellikey, we go all the way back to Aristotle. I mean, what is it about these fundamental human archetypal qualities? Well, archetypes, uh, since you mentioned uh, Jung's work on that, is patterns that we recognize in stories. And humans love stories. And I think it's more useful for us to, as leaders to lean into archetypes because we get the stories. If I see elder, automatically we have a collection of images and narratives that come to our st- into our mind about what an elder is. And if we lean on that as inspiration to help channel different behaviors, attitudes, and practices, then that can help us integrate really positive um, activities and approaches in our, in our leadership work, much more so than using a word such as ethical which is a kind of an intangible concept. So I say, let's use archetypes to help us be better leaders in the moments that matter. And, uh, you know, you mentioned two of them, the elder and the warrior. I think the elder is the one, the one archetype to rule them all, if you like, because for me, the elder encamp- encompasses exactly what I would love to see leaders do in the world. And that's to be wise and compassionate, to be have to use the best of their mind as well as best of their heart in order to make sensitive and sensible decisions. And that's what I would love to see every leader channel in all of their work. And so we can think about elders across different cultures as inspiration for that. I know here in Australia, elderdom is a really important aspect of our First Nations people. And um, the elders are custodians of culture. They help sell disputes. And they hold the whole narrative of their 60,000-year-old history in terms of, of what they embody and how they care for their people and they care for country. And I think that's just a fabulous way to show up as a leader, is to be thinking in those kind of terms. 60,000 years of history and 60,000 years of future is a one way to sit in an expanded perspective. And so as we show up and be centered as leaders, I think we can hold that as a torch to bear. Uh, and to light the path for those who come with us. So strong. And it's so interesting how you've taken these deep philosophical archetypes and you put your tongue in the cheek and call it people stuff. It's just a wonderful encapsulation to make it very approachable. (laughs) Zoe, thanks for being on our program. We've enjoyed the conversation so much. Thank you, Mark and Kirsten. It's been absolutely delightful to be here with you.
Well, and Kirsten, this is just the kind of conversation we're continuing to have, especially as we move into season three of our podcast, really focusing on this overlap of business, spiritual, and as we've said today, archetypal approaches. Yeah, and obviously using the works of people who have walked before us. And I really kind of like that we've been talking about the generations that are before us, right? Somebody mentioned that we have five generations that are in a workplace right now. And ancient wisdom can still apply and still be valuable if done in a contemporary urban setting. So I love that the great works are still in play. Yeah, well, we'll continue to learn from them and from our guests. So come back again, listeners, for our next episode. We'll continue these conversations about entelechy leadership, guiding to our soul's purpose and our full human potential. For Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson, and this is Entelechy Leadership Story. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Entelechy Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintelechy.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.